for those uh, youth and children who are out in the um, Zoom area, I'd like to just ask you um, a couple of questions and maybe make an observation. Um, how many of you are aware of what's called the church year? No. Does anybody know what the church year means? <laughs> right. Um, now, believe it or not, the church year does not start on January 1st and un end on December 1st. It starts the first week of December and ends then the next week, next year in the last week of November. Kind of crazy. <laughs> well, that's the church. So one of the things that's fascinating is that, of course, you know there are 52 Sundays in a year, right? You all know that, yeah. Yeah. So what has happened is that the, the church people who were coordinating the scriptures that we read on Sundays they divided the year into two parts, two equal parts. So 52 divided by 2 is 26. So the first 26 weeks of the year, which of course does not start in January, starts December, for Sunday, December. If from then until 26 later, years, weeks later, we hear the story of what God has done for us. And it begins with the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and then the birth of Jesus, and then a little bit about him as a young boy, and then as a teacher. And then it goes on, after three years of teaching, he ends up being tried and convicted and ultimately crucified. And then he dies, is buried, and rises again and ascends. That story is told in the first 26 weeks. Now, interestingly, the second 26 weeks are all written, scriptures written about how do we then respond to this story that we have just heard in the first 26 weeks. One way, a simple way of putting it is um, God provides, we respond. And so the first 26 weeks is God's providing. The second 26 weeks is how do we respond? So here we are, we're kind of in the middle of that 26 weeks. And every Sunday during this time, the scripture is inviting us to think about how do we respond to God and to Jesus. Let us pray. God, we thank you for giving us the gift of your son, Jesus, and having stories told about him and scripture written about him so that we can understand who he was and what he is about. We pray especially now as we are reminded of the gift of Jesus, we will learn ways in which we ourselves can be responsive and demonstrate our understanding of what that means. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks. Grace to you and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I like to just uh, sort of to begin this um, sermon today is just to remind you of the last verse of the gospel. It says that Paul, I mean, Peter has said, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And for me, that's really what the, the invitation and the challenges all the time is to know and to believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Many of the scriptures that happen during the second half of the liturgical church here, the, the 26 weeks in which we're he hearing about our response, some of them are kind of hard to take. And this one is one of those ones that are really hard to take because it starts off by Jesus saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, oh my gosh. It's like, is he promoting cannibalism? And, or some people will say, that's the reason I have nothing to do with Christianity because it is so crazy far out. And yet, um, Jesus is reported to have sort of said things like this because he wanted to see if people really understood what it meant to be following him. If we didn't have the translation from into English today so that we're reading, eat um, my body and drink my blood, we would hear verbs that he used in his language that are a little bit sort of more stark than this. And they don't refer to the sort of thinking of, you know, like what, what people do when they do eat people's flesh and drink people's blood. But that's what we get. And so we have to figure out now what is going on here. One of the things I think that was happening was that the many people who have studied what was happening with Jesus at that time and in the, his time was that a lot of people were following Jesus because of all the neat things he was doing. You know, he fed 5,000 people. Um, he healed people. He raised them from the dead. He made wine out of water. It's like, He's a nice guy to have around. And the t intensity of what Jesus is bringing here is that he was seeing people was responding to him because of the benefits that he was offering, but they didn't understand that what he was inviting them to do. Jesus also said, Love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He also said, 
sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. He also said, feed the hungry, visit the sick, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, give water to the thirsty. He also said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. His, my sense of this is that he saw what was happening, that people were following him when he fed the 5,000 and we healed, healed people and such. But he wanted people to understand that that was not what it's all about. It was not a free meal, free health care your ready supply of wine for parties. He wanted people to understand that what he was inviting people to do was doing what he was doing. That that's the response of faith to what is going on in our world. It's thought that Jesus actually used hyperbole in a lot of the times when he was speaking or telling uh, stories because he wanted to sort of exaggerate what was going on so that he could really get people's attention. And as it portrays in the gospel, he really got their attention when he said, eat my body and drink my blood. People began thinking, which is what he wanted. And he wanted to help them understand what it was going to mean to be a follower of his. It was not getting all this free stuff whenever you needed it. It was all these other ways of being in the world. To love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. See, even in that one simple little thing, it says, and your neighbor is yourself, is Jesus saying, you need to love yourself as, and have that be the model for how you love your neighbor. And I think a lot of times some of us, it's like, well, that would be a tough one for me to do, you know? But that's the invitation. And that Jesus was speaking in this way so that we would really begin to understand what it was that he was about. He was not just about all this wonderful healing. He was also talking about how we are disciples in this world. One of our challenges for today is we can't pull Jesus aside and say, oh, what did you really mean when you said this? I'm just really puzzled when you say, drink my blood and eat my flesh. We have to sort of, we have to really rely on other people who have studied the language and studied the society and studied what was going on in his day, figure out what was happening 2,000 plus years ago. And it's that out of that understanding of, of these studies that we can begin to understand the culture and society and the religion of the people. And that in that moment, Jesus concluded uh, from his assessments of what was going on that he needed to challenge the people to live out what it really meant to be a child of God.
to hear the gospel, the good news, um, lived out. One of the, I know a couple of Sundays ago, when I first preached here, I mentioned a line written by really one of my favorite um, British theologians, G.K. Chesterton. He wrote, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried and found too difficult. That resonated again with me as I was reading the scripture and preparing my sermon for today, is that I think that's what Jesus had on his mind. I'm only guessing, but that's what he had on his mind when he was saying to his, the people who were following him, it's not that easy. In fact, it's a real challenge. And that he wanted to make sure that they really heard what it was that was going on, what Jesus was trying to teach and what he was inviting them to do. That he really wanted them to understand this is challenging work. This is a challenging life. It's not a bunch of freebies. I think this was really going to be challenging, as you could tell from the disciples leaving. We don't know how many left, but the original 12 who had been following him for a while hung around. But it was a sense of that it was a lot of people that left, and they were kind of left with their 12 together. And he was inviting them to make a decision too. He said, are you with me or not? And I think this is the piece that is really important for us today, is that we have to um, surmise and we need to sort of imagine what was going on 2,000 plus years ago and how does that make sense for us today, 2021? Because we are still reading the same words but we need to figure out how does this work in today, in our worlds, in our life today. As I had mentioned with the the children's sermon about how the, the church year is divided in half, 26 and 26. One is the story that about Jesus is birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and then how do we respond? I think that this is really the important thing is to, to think of this time during the whole uh, late spring, all of summer, and early fall, is that what we are looking at is how do I respond to this gospel? What is it that, how am I in sort of responding to Jesus' invitations to like love God with heart, soul, strength, and mind and neighbor as self, or to sell all you have but give to the poor and follow him, or to feed the hungry, to visit the sick, to clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned. It's like, it's um, our invitation. We have 26 weeks of sort of constant reminder of 
What is our response to this good news? And then to begin thinking about specific ways of living this out. And I think that that's the part that I always think of as the biggest challenge. Now what? (laughs) Now what? And to keep thinking for yourself. Now what? Because we're all invited. Every one of us. And the thing that I think is so exciting is that as Lutherans, we believe that we are all saved. We don't need to work for it. We don't need to rack up points. We don't need to keep a score. Because in Scripture it says, it refers in the past tense, you are my redeemed Past tense. It doesn't say, I think I'm going to redeem you, maybe. And for us to accept the fact that we are already God's children. We are already saved. And that the the next step is, how do we show that? What's our next thing? One author that I I appreciate, he he was actually reading a a book about prayer, how to pray. And at one point he writes, if we believe in the free gift of God's grace, redemption, there's only one prayer for us to pray. Thanks. I think that to me is really powerful when we think about our own lives, is that what does it mean that we are already saved? You're not invited to do some work to make sure you score properly. But it's how do you reflect that place where you already are, a saved child of God. Amen.